are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Mark chapter 10, verses 43 and 44 and 45. Mark 10, 43, 44, 45. But so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. Isn't that beautiful? The Son of God, our Savior. Now turn, please, to John twelve twenty four. John twelve twenty four. You must have this verse. You must make it real in your life. John twelve twenty four. Verily, verily, I send you, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. My friend, when did you die? Or have you reckoned yourself to be dead? Or are you still alive to self? When did you die? Now, we'll come back to that verse in a moment, and you'll hold that view up. I want to speak tonight briefly on three magic words. Three magic words. I don't want you to miss them. Write them down. Memorize them. Think about them. Let God move your heart. Three magic words. Some years ago, I came out of Louisville, Kentucky, my hometown, and driving south, I came to Hodgensville, Kentucky. Hodgensville is the birthplace of Abraham Lincoln and a famous town. I drove into that little town there before. I drove in and out. And when I did so, I met by uh, what it was in an avalanche of cars and buses and trucks and people packed and jammed the streets. And I said, man, what in the world happening? I stopped my car. I got out. I said, say, I said, I'm going through this town. But I said, no way to get through here. And I said, what in the world is taking place? I said, didn't you know? I said, no. I don't know what's wrong. He said, well, up there on the square, at the court square. Now, they have a big courthouse right in the middle of town. You know, those old country towns were built. And he's in the courthouse square. There's a man who is going to drive a car blindfolded. I said, you mean drive a car blindfolded? He said, absolutely. They pray you said you can do it. Now, I know folks can drive cars when they can see. A lot of them, they can see, but they still can't drive. I said, you mean you go blind? He said, you come and see it. I went up there, left the car and walked up there, and man, what a crowd of people. Those country people around Hodgesville, Kentucky, uh, that's right near the birthplace of Abraham Lincoln, you know, and they were all gathered in there, and uh, what a crowd of them. I, I stood there and watched. And after a while, the mayor of the city came and introduced a man, a very normal, average-looking man. And he said, this man is going to drive a car completely blindfolded. In this crowd of people, this city packed and jammed, he'll buy, he'll drive a car. Well, I said, man, there's something. And the fellow came out the front, and he stood there and talked to Bob. And he said, uh, I'm going to drive the car here. There's a beautiful new black Chevrolet parked at the side of the, of the grandstand. And he said, I'll get in this car completely, totally blindfolded, and we'll drive the car around your city. I promise that I can do it. You may follow me, you may do all you want to, I'll be totally blindfolded, but I'll drive the car. And then he said, now if you'll bring up the, uh, the mask, uh, mask for my face and so forth, and he brought it up. And they tied the heavy cloth around his eyes and down over his face, and he stood there, and then they, they brought up a great big heavy cap and brought the cap down over his head and tied it around, around here. Now, had the eyes gone full of the cap on his head and all of it, he said, I shall drive a car completely blindfolded. I know some boys can't drive cars they can see. 
and uh, here this guy's going to drive and, and blindfolded. And I said, man, what a man. And he walked out the edge of the platform. Never forget it. He said, before I drive the car, I have three magic words that I want to say. And he opened his mouth and said three magic words. What they were, I do not know. I could not understand the words at all. But he said three words. He walked off the platform by himself, down the step like you have here, and out to the car, opened the door, got inside, turned on the ignition, and started the car and began driving. He drove all over Hodgensville and brought the car back to the stand and stopped it right in front in the great mass of people and stopped the car, walked out of there, walked back up on the stand. They removed the cap from his head, the big heavy hood over his head, and took the blindfold off, and he stood there. And all of it, now wait, he said that I have to say three magic words. What they were, I do not know. But I want to give you three words tonight that you do know. Number one, write down the word life, L-I-F-E. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. Now, my dear friend, that means that Jesus possessed life. He was the Son of God. He was the eternal Son of God. That means that He is the way of life. Now, this world is full of all kind of ways, but there's just one way to heaven. One way to be saved, that's Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Again, He's the giver of life. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. John 10, 28. And here is life. Life eternal in Him. Now, we've got to see that. And my dear friend, it matters not who you are, young or old, Jew or Gentile. There's one way of life. And for you to reach heaven, there's only one way, one way only, and that's by faith in Christ. Live any kind of life you may live, that doesn't touch it. You've got to come and say, I know that Christ is my Savior and is all my life. Christ is the source of life. He's the source of life. Christ is satisfaction of life. He satisfies our Christ is the solution to all of life's problems. Watch it again. Salvation is free. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It's a gift of God. In other words, let's say the mansion, folks. Salvation is full. I'm coming to my life that you might have it more abundantly. Salvation is forever. I've given them eternal life, and they shall never perish. It is free. It is full. It is forever. Salvation through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I got saved at 14 years of age. I knew nothing of the Bible. I knew nothing of the teaching of the Word of God. But a little Sunday school teacher named Mrs. Daisy Halls stood in front of a class. I went in as an ignorant country boy. A friend took me. And I heard that lady tell about Christ the life. I said, I want it. I put my faith in Jesus Christ. And he saved my soul. I came forward in the church. And when I did, my mother and dad followed me down another aisle. And they got saved on that occasion. But I'm pointing out the fact of Christ the life. Now that's the thing you've got to know. He is the life. And here tonight, I care on who you may be. You belong to this church or any church in the world. But without Christ, you're lost. And one way to be saved, one way to have life, and that's by your faith in the Son of God, a simple childlike faith in Jesus who died on the cross, shed His blood for you, that you might have life everlasting. Life is in him. A little mother came to Chattanooga. Had a loved one to die, and I went to see her. And we were sitting there talking, and she came to the funeral of this loved one in Chattanooga. And uh, she began talking and said, Brother Robson, have I ever told you about a boy? I said, No, you haven't. So I had a son, a very sick young man. 
as a boy, young man, in his teens, he was sick. And couldn't go out and play and go to school like others. And we cared for him very carefully at home. And said, uh, I'm a Christian, my family all say, but this boy was not. And we were troubled about him. And I witnessed to him every day and I'd read the Bible to him, but he'd say, no, mama. And he kept up in his, tw- got in his 20s and still lost. And couldn't do a thing with him. And we kept trying and trying. And he said, oh, my heart was broken with him. And we were sitting one night in the living room. We have a big family. The family is gone except the two of us. My son and me. And we were sitting there. And the radio was turned on. And on came the voice of B.R. Lakin. Remember old B.R. Lakin? B.R. Lakin. Then uh, preaching from Indianapolis. Remember those old days? And he gave the message of gospel. And my boy sat there and listened there. And when he got through, I went over and turned off the radio and said, Son, he was talking to you. He said, Yes, Mother, but I'm not ready. And then he stood up and started to leave the room and go to his bedroom. He'd been a sick boy for years. They'd sent him out west in the western climate for a long time and brought him back home and still sick and puny in life. And, uh, and, he, uh, and he turned to one, and when he got to the door to go out, he said, Mama, I'll think about it. And he walked out. And when she said, I didn't sleep that night. I, I didn't sleep at all. I prayed for my boy all night. I got up in the morning at 5 o'clock. I had a big family and had to cook breakfast for the whole family. And they had to go to work early. And so I was in the kitchen cooking breakfast. When the, uh, down the hall, I heard steps coming. My boy came down, my sick boy, and walked down the hall. Said I stood there facing the stove and reached up, put his arm around my neck, said, Mama, you've got a new boy this morning. I got saved last night. I accepted Christ as my Savior. That little mother sat there and wept and told that story about her boy. And she kept on talking. Then she said, Brother Robertson, there came the day when the doctor came to see my boy. We had built a room for him out on one side of the house where he had plenty of fresh air, you know. He had uh, a TV and that was so sick and said, we'd built the room and the doctor came to see him. And I was back in the kitchen uh, working and praying and waiting and to see what would happen. And after a while, the doctor came back and said, uh, there's nothing I can do. He'll be gone just a very short time. And she said, oh, my heart was broken. But he said, Mother, if you'd like to, you know, you want to speak to him now? And uh, I'll wait for you. And she said, I walked in the sick room and my boy was facing the wall. And when I came in, I spoke his name, and he turned and faced me and said, Mama, don't cry. It's all right. I'll meet you just inside the eastern gate. And he said that and turned and faced the wall. He died in just a few hours. Now, wait a minute, friends. I'm pointing out to you the greatness of salvation, knowing Christ is your Savior. Life, life! Are you saved tonight? Rejoice in it. Praise God. Tell people about it. Life. Let's come to the second word. Put down the word death. First the word life, second word death. Now I want you to hold it this. Here's something important. John 12 and verse 24, I'll read it again. Verily, verily, I say to you, except a corn of wheat fall on the ground and die, it abide the home. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. What's he talking about? He's talking about dying to self. Paul said in verse 15, 31, I die daily. I die daily. And there's a little book that comes out of England called, When Did You Die? When did you die? Think of it, Christian. If you're saved tonight, you need to be reckoning yourself to be dead. And you need to die. Die to the things of this world. Die to the temptation. Die to the, the, to the world and the flesh and the devil. And reckon yourself to be dead. In Romans 6 and verse 11 to 13, he said, Therefore reckon yourself to be dead and beat unto sin. And that's all the way through your Bible. This matter of dying, dying, dying yourself. 
When did you die? Are you still alive to the world? You still respond to the world, the things of the world, or have you reconciled to be dead? Someone asked the famous George Mueller, that great man of prayer, who fed thousands of children through his prayer life. And then Mr. Mueller, what is the secret of your success? He said, I'd rather not say a very timid man, a godly man. And the incident said, sir, we'd like to know, what is the secret of your success? What have you done? Yet it answers the prayer and feeding children and helping thousands of people. What is your secret? And after a long time, he put his hands up there, a big, tall, willowy man, way over six feet tall, and bent over and touched the floor. He said, there was a day when I died. He died to self. He died to self. He died to compliments. He died to criticism. He died to riches. He died to poverty. He died all of it. And that's for you and me, and we're to come to the same place and say to Paul, I die daily. I'm dead to criticism. I'm dead to compliments. I'm dead to all of it. I want to simply serve God and love God and keep on going, reckoning himself to be dead. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. What a lesson for all of us. I'm crucified with Christ. This service tonight can remake your life, can give you new joy, new peace in the midst of your troubles. You're dead. The world can't hurt you. Uh, God has his hand upon you and your life. Now, Paul was dead himself, and he kept on going. Now, some people stop, you know, and give up, as Jimmy has already said. And you keep on going. He kept on believing, believing, and he would not doubt. Doubts are everywhere. But he would not doubt. Paul would not doubt. Again, he kept right on. And with an untarnished influence, a life counting for God every moment, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Again, Paul left the lasting testimony. He would not change. There are some people always changing, always shifting around. No, no. Put your faith in Christ and stand true to the end of the way. And do you say goodbye and lift up your hands for the entrance into heaven? You're rejoicing and praising God. Now say, Lord, I'm not quitting. I'm not giving up. You've got to make up your mind to it. Sunday school teachers, you can't quit. Deacons, you can't quit. Usher, you can't quit. And you've got to say, I'm going on. I met all of the quitters. I spent four years and six months in Hollow Park in one church. I've been preaching since 1928. Figure that out. 1928. This is 1996. I've seen a lot of things. I've seen a lot of quitters. I've seen them. We haven't been to Highland Park. Had a little lady, a wonderful Bible teacher. Oh, she knew the Word. She memorized the Word. She was a teacher. One of the best. But she was always quitting. little trouble coming to class. She had quit. She resigned almost every week. She resigned all the time. And finally one day she went to see me. And she said, well, I'm trying to resign to quit my class. They won't let me. I said, I'll take it. I took a resignation. She got mad. She left the church. Go another one. Wait a minute. Some people like that. And you've got to say, oh, God, I want to be right. You've got to reconcile to be dead. I baptized one Sunday morning. I had the exquisite joy of baptizing 61,000 people in my 40 years of Highland Park. I did the baptizing personally. I baptized. I loved it. I finished that part. I came out of the back door of the church to go home. We lived right on, the, on Bailey Avenue. And uh, I came out of that. Boy, I came out the door of the back door. I met a lady, mad as she could be. 
and a nice lady, a gray-haired lady. And she said, Preacher, I'm mad. I said, What in the world could be wrong? She said, You ought to know. I said, Well, I don't. She said, Someone got my seat. I said, What do you mean? She said, I've been sitting in the balcony. You remember the old church? In the balcony. In one place. She said, I've been there for years. Every Sunday morning, Sunday night, I sit there. I came in this morning, and there sat a man. I said, Sir, you'll have to move. That's my seat. He said, lady, I'm not moving. I like it here. And she said, he would not move. I had to move to another part of the village. I couldn't see. I couldn't hear. I didn't enjoy a thing. He said, preacher, you get my seat or I'm quitting the church. I'm giving it up. And she was mad. And she paused a moment. I said, ma'am, have you ever heard of the great secret of dying to self? Dying to self? She said, no. I said, you want to hear it? I took my Bible and showed her what it meant to wreck himself to be dead. I die daily. And I gave it all to her. And when I finished, she walked away and never said a word. I came back Sunday night. I got in the pulpit, looked up in that place in the back where she had been sitting for years. It was empty. I looked around there, she walked down front. I mean, smiling big. That never happened again. She learned a lesson. That's for all of you teachers in the Sunday school and ushers and deacons in the church and members and choir members and all of you. You reckon yourself to be dead. And say, Lord, I want Christ have you seen in my life. I give all to There's life and death. I give you a third word and I'm through. Put down the word service. Life and death and service. Three magic words. Magic words. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, your servant. And whosoever you will be the chief shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. You better be a servant. Now, you're not asked for the big place. You just, just serve God. Don't be high and mighty, but say, Lord, I want to serve you with all the Lord. And God will bless you. Now, serve God how? Serve God lovingly. Serve God lovingly. Love Christ and love people and serve God lovingly. Again, serve God willingly. Paul said, if I do this thing, will it have reward? But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel will be given to me. That's all of God. Serve God willingly. No, don't I let people pay you into something, but say, here I am, I'm ready to go. Let it again. Serve God unselfishly. Don't seek something for yourself. Unselfishly. Then serve God faithfully. Well done, good and faithful servant. And these are things in service. Lovingly, willingly, unselfishly, and faithfully, and with determination say, this one thing I do. I'm serving God. I'm living for Him every moment of the time. I want life to count for Him. Now, God is at will for your life. Are you in the will of God? Think. Are you in the will of God? Pastor, you have been pastor for seven years, right? For your work to be successful and joyous and fruitful, you have to be in the will of God. And if you're in the will of God, then you can say, praise God. I'm just where God wants me to be. And I've got to be, Jimmy, you're an evangelist. You could be a pastor. You could have other work if you want to do it. But if God calls you, you haven't got anything else to do. But say, I want to be in the will of God for my life. And that's the thing that counts. Now, most people are not in the will of God. That's why you have trouble. That's why you have difficulties in America. 
That's why you have trouble in Washington. You see, this goes for all of us. Mr. Clinton has to be in the will of God, or he's going to have trouble. And we'll have trouble too. See what I'm getting at? And you've got to say, oh God, I want to be in your will. I want your will to be done in my life. And you've got to say, this is it. And I give myself wholly completely to him. I, I flew into Charleston, West Virginia, one afternoon for a meeting, a, revi a revival in that city. And a man met me at the airport, up on the top of the mountain. And I got my suitcases, came down to, to the parking lot to get his car. Never had met the man before. A fine, well-dressed man. Had a big, beautiful, expensive car. He put my, car, my suitcase in the back seat, and he said, you sit up here in front with me, and he began driving. We left that mountain and came down. And he turned to me and said, Brother Robertson, he said, I asked for the privilege of coming to see you. He said, I need help. I have a job in Washington, D.C. I'm highly paid. My salary runs into many, many thousands of dollars. I've got everything I want, but I'm not happy. I'm not in the will of God. And he said, somebody told me that you could help me. And I said, sir, I can tell you what the Bible says, and that's all I can do, but you'll have to make, make up the rest yourself. You've got to be in the will of God. He said, I'm unhappy. I'm miserable in my work. I don't like any of it. I'm hurting my family. We're all unhappy because of my attitude. I want the will of God. He said, how can I know his will? Get on your knees. I said, and pray and say, Lord, reveal your will to me. And you will. Then you'll be willing to do it. Be willing to do what God says. We have to live daily in the will of God. And millions of people not in His will. That's written for crowded penitentiaries. Huh? And jails. That's reading you have laws like you have people not in the will of God. See, the will of God will mean correction in life and will mean purity of life and cleanliness and joy and peace and happiness when the will of God. And you're going to say, oh God, I want to be in your will above everything. And the young people, teach your young people to pray, Oh God, show me your will for my life. And He will show that will. And you can know the will of God. Every one of us can know what God's will is for us. And we'll know what to do. Now, we, we, we fail. We don't do not embrace young people to pray as they should about the will of God. And we approve sinful worldly living quite often. And we're doing it now. Immorality and drunkenness and immodesty and everything else. And we're doing, and we're giving youth a selfish goal for money, for, for position and power and pain, fame. And we're not getting it over. And we've got to come and say, Lord, we want Christ in the center of our lives. We want to be in His will. We want to work with Him and serve Him and love Him. Now, I want you to hold the message for tonight. I'm concerned about everyone. Three magic words. Life and death and service. How simple. Your life, your life is important. You're somebody. I'm somebody. I'm a child of God through faith in Christ. My dear friend, believe it or not, I'm eternal. Believe it or not, you're your eternal, Pastor. I've got everlasting life. Given me by the Savior. And mine forever because of His infallible Word. He's promised. I've got something. I want to be in the will of God. I've just got one life. I pastored in Holland, worked for four years and six months. I enjoyed it. I had a thrill that God said one day, I want you to retire. I've got something else for you. I didn't know what it was. I retired. I offered everything. They offered me everything. I said, no, this is it. And I did retire. And I got it. As soon as I did so, God began opening doors. And I never asked for a thing. 
I've now been in more than 1,600 different churches in the last 13 years. This year already, 110 churches, kind of yours. 110 in one year. Wait, I didn't ask for that. I didn't ask for anything at all. But I want to be in the will of God and say, Dear Lord, I want your will to be done in my life. Now for you tonight, say, Oh God, let me know your will. And life and death and service will be correct when you're in the will of God. With this I close, a famous artist was commissioned by the king to paint a picture of the Last Supper. He painted the picture and made it beautiful. Painted Christ at the, t- at the table, disciples around the table, the couple on the table, beautiful scene, the Last Supper. Picture was finished and put on display. The crowds gathered. They came to see it. The artist was well known. The artist took a hiding place behind a curtain, and the people came in, stood before the picture. And he heard them as they began talking. And one by one, they kept remarking, look at that cup on the table. He had painted a beautiful table with a cup right before the master and the disciples and Jesus at the table. And one man said, look at that cup. Another said, look, that most beautiful thing you've ever seen. Another man said, that's not just paint on canvas. That man used some material to make that cup shine, glisten like that. And he came up and tried to touch it. And one by one they made comments about the cup. Finally the artist came out of his hiding place with a brush in his hand. He pushed the people aside. He walked up to his picture and painted about out that beautiful jewel cup in this place he left in an ordinary, everyday, common clay cup. They grabbed his shoulder, pulled it back and said, Sir, you ruined your picture. That comes the most beautiful thing on the picture and said you ruined it all by painting it out. He looks at him at this point in his eyes, he said, My friends, that cup was made beautiful because it was for the master's use. But when the eyes can see on the cup and fail to see the master beyond, the cup has to go. In my picture, Jesus has to be first. Dear Pastor, for my life, and I know for yours, and Jimmy for yours, and these dear preachers here tonight, and others who are here, missionaries, Christ must be first. He must be first before everything in this world. Lord Jesus, what wilt thou have me to do? Then obey him. And there's the message for tonight. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.